Welcome, everybody, to episode two of the Too High podcast featuring uh, Deontay Lee. That's him and me, Seth Galina. Deontay, what's going on? Not much, man. Not much, man. Knee deep in prep um, this week. Uh, you know, I just worked on this piece about Shane Waldron and Empty. You know, something that you and I have kind of been talking about as far as like what Russell Wilson's going to look like in this offense. Um, so I, I thought that that was going to be pretty interesting. So doing a little bit of research on uh, D'Amico Ryan. So it's going to be an NFC West heavy week for me content wise. Um, but, you know, everything's good. How about you, bro? Uh, you know, prepping for my flag football game tonight. Uh, you know, going over um, going over the pressure packages the other team sends, going over their coverage rotations. Um, just trying to stay one step ahead of the game. Uh so uh, episode two of the podcast, uh, we just finished recording with uh, our friend Justice Mosqueda, who is a Packers writer for Acme Packing Company. That's on the SB Nation website. And um, we talked for a lot. We talked a lot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Justice has uh, takes. You, yeah. Justice has takes. And honestly, you put the three of us together and, and uh, it's going to go on for a long time. So, uh, big podcast. We talked about both college and NFL. So, we, yes, we covered the Packers offense. Really interesting dis- discussion on how receivers and personnel groupings kind of morph into different stuff and aren't really the way we we need to be looking at them. A little t- touch on how the defense is going to change going from Mike Penn to Joe Barry. And we also had a long discussion about college football, Texas yeah. A&M, uh, how to build a program kind of. Um, and then looking at the two offenses that we've talked a lot about, um, the super spreader offense and pistol wide zone offense and how they've kind of become the two offenses kind of du jour in college football. So honestly, super excited to get you guys this. Um, I just want to make it uh, sure you guys know you are listening to a PFF podcast. If you go to PFF.com, you can get 30% off any PFF subscription with promo code kickoff 30 that means, uh, and all, all of them, so like Edge, Elite, uh, all the fantasy stuff that you want, because it is fantasy football season. And uh, honestly, we, we have some of the best stuff. So you get, uh, for $7, you get access to the PFF Fantasy Football Draft Guide, the player pro- rankings and projections, all of PFF's locked article content, which means me and Deontay's articles. Right, you can read our stuff. You yeah. can read our stuff. Uh, cheat sheets for your fantasy draft and so much more. So that's promo code kickoff 30 uh, for 30% off any uh, PFF subscription. And uh, let's get into our interview with uh, Justice right about now. We are now joined by friend of the podcast, making his first appearance on the Too High podcast, Mr. Justice Mosqueda. What's going on, Justice? That's the first time I've been called Mr. before, and I don't particularly like it. Uh, I'm doing good. This is, this is going to be good because... I don't tweet that much about college football on the timeline uh, because I once said like, Hey, Miles Garrett is a better player than Derek Barnett. And then tight, uh, not Titans fans, uh, volunteer fans came into my mentions and were like, you're an Al Qaeda member. So like <laughs> college football is a little tricky in terms of like you make fans mad. So you guys usually have to deal with like all my pent up college football takes in the group chat. So it's nice to get them on record now. Well, you know, your takes are wild. And I think that's probably yeah, they're why. They're pent up, man. Yeah, they're that's, pent that's up. why it's you not should like I'm not yeah. watching these you games. Should not, they they spend months marinating and then they <laughs> yeah. just blow up the chat every time. I will say, I mean, if you want to dodge the, the ire of college football fans, you can always do what I do. And that's just cheer for all the good teams. 
nobody ever gets mad at me. <laughs> that's all I do. Aren't you publicly, a USC at least, publicly at least? All I do is share. Excuse me, that's a USC Clemson Oklahoma Georgia fan. <laughs> you got like the Trill Bollins. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Yankees, so, Dodgers, Lakers. You know, who you root for in college football? The Yankees, bro. The Yankees. <laughs> Uh, okay, so we're actually going to start with something that uh, became super heated between the three of us and some other people a couple nights ago, and we wanted to get it on the record. We wanted to get it recorded. Uh, so we were talking about Texas A&M recently and where they are as a program, and we have two um, uh, dissenting opinions, I think, um, from Deontay and Justice. Uh, Justice is very pro-Jimbo, pro-Texas A&M. Like, this is... Uh, one of the best programs in college football right now. And Deontay, I guess I would say, I could be wrong here, but you're more in a wait and see mode with Texas A&M. Like, hey, maybe you should beat Alabama first before we say anything. Maybe you should get blown out every year by, or most years by LSU, so on and so forth. Right. So, so like, let's They didn't with- last year. Well, okay. yeah. Check and actually, facts. I'm glad you framed it this way, Seth, because I know I'm probably going to catch hell from the 12th man. I want to make sure that everybody understands I'm not anti AM here. I'm anti justice. Let's make sure that we're <laughs> on this one. See, but this uh, is the messed up thing is that Deontay is going to say, yeah, AM is the fourth best program in college football. That doesn't mean anything. And then you guys are going to turn this around on me when we, when we, when you guys ask me how many teams should be at FBS ball, and I'm like 20, and you guys are like, "Wow, that's absurd." When Deontay's like the fourth team in college football means nothing right now. I See, I know what you guys are doing. I'm not going to fall for the bait. <laughs> uh, yeah, you better watch out because we 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 have the our finger ready to clip anything you say and throw it up. Uh, on the PFF social media account, so be ready. Yeah. So, anyways, let, let's talk about Jimbo. Um, like, what what do you think? Uh, I guess the question is like, where do you think Texas A&M is a program is as a program? Justice, they have a good defense. They're in a great talent pool. They're in the best division of the sport. Jimbo finds quarterbacks in their spe- spending out the ass. That's a pretty good start. That's kind of how I view Texas A&M in general. Um, is this when we fight about, uh, is it easier to build a defense or offense well, in college well, football? Well, I want to say like, I want to clarify my, cause I'm sure that this is probably going to un- unravel into me shouting at you just like how it was, <laughs> you know, 48 hours ago. I want to make sure like when I kind of scoff at this, where I see Texas A&M is really not any different than where justice sees A&M at either. I think that they're in the same position that Clemson was in like eight years ago when Clemsoning was still a term. You know, like they're still getting their. Well, they, they they have more talent on defense than Clemson ever had. I at agree. That level. I agree. I Especially think up front, like that, they yeah. have an NFL defense right now, and yeah. those guys are all returning. Like I was going to say, I think the Clemson the Clemson trajectory was kind of in reverse because Venables didn't get there until a little bit later. So mm-hmm. Clemson was there on offense, and the defense wasn't where it needed to be. And then once they got a guy who understood how how to build a defense for the era that we were in it kind of shot off and they had already found a way to recruit quarterbacks, recruit and develop quarterbacks. But they're kind of in the same spot that I thought that Clemson was in between 2012 and 2014, you know, before Deshaun really took over and brought them to a national title. So I don't want to make it seem like I think that they're actually like two steps in this process away. I think they're one away. I think the issue is that last step now versus where Clemson's last step was in 2014 is way bigger because the teams who are at the top of college football are much further separated 
than where they were just half a decade ago. They're also so that's kind of, their division. Right, exactly. So you you, you can't and, even and get if they're not in their division, they're in their conference. Yeah. And if they're not in their conference, the teams that aren't in their conference that are also at that tier are basically walk-ins to the playoffs. Like Clemson, Clemson maybe gets one one game a year. You know, it's either the ACC title game or whoever they schedule out of conference that could possibly be a blocker for them making the playoffs. Everything else is kind of a cakewalk. Same for Ohio State. Like if Michigan's not up, there's nobody there to contend with them. You know, Wisconsin, I think, is a great program, but their style of play is never going to beat Ohio State. I, I, I don't want to hear it from anybody else. You know, that's never going to it's never going to beat Ohio, not this version of Ohio State. You know, that that's kind of the way that I'm looking at it now. And I think that A&M is right there. They're not just like some cute story. They're a real program. They're just not there yet because that gap is so huge between them, the Alabamas, the Georgias, the Ohio States and the Clemsons. Yeah, no, I, I could see that. I just think that Jimbo is going to figure out a quarterback at some point. Like he just has enough of a track record where you're going to say this guy at, at the very least is not going to bat below average at quarterback. And, you know, you were talking about Clemson had it together on offense before they had it on defense. And that's like kind of like the reversed example of AM. Was Kellen Mond better than any Clemson quarterback before Deshaun Watson? I think that he's Taj on college on college trajectory, I would say him and Taj Boyd are probably yeah. right. Exactly. Anything. So like, it's not even like they're that far behind on the offensive side. I think so. Like, no, it's just it's just a matter of finding the Deshaun Watson, right? Like, yeah. and and the, finding the, the Joe of, Burrow because I think right, that's the probably, beauty of it is yeah. the beauty of college football now, and Alabama's running into this now is once you get one. All the quarterbacks want to go play for you after. Oklahoma Bingo! Is a good example yeah, of that exactly. Too. But it's the, it's the matter of getting the one. Yeah. You know, yeah. even just having a Jalen Hurts, having a mobile quarterback now, open the door for other guys who are mobile or maybe more more unconventional as quarterbacks. Not even Jalen, Blake Sims, Blake Sims, and Lane yeah. Kiffin. Everybody's like, "Whoa, it's a real offense now. I can go here as a quarterback and look like you know a Heisman winner. I'm not just here to put the keys in the ignition and let everybody else do the work." You know, so that's that's really what it is. It, and that's the hardest part that that's kind of the point that I think I maybe kind of got lost in because I was just shouting justice down about pedigree, which I do believe is a real thing. But the hardest part is getting that real quarterback. That's well, what's going to be standing between them and everybody else. Their issue this year is that you, to a certain degree, wasted for three years, let's say, uh, of a pretty good college quarterback. And, like, you don't get those – like, right. we can say all we want about Kellen Mond, but, like, he's still an upper-tier quarterback in the college football round. And now you're returning, like, the whole team, basically, but you're starting basically a freshman quarterback. So that is concerning. My, my Jimbo take is, like, yeah, he's, you know – like you said, they're pouring so much money into this program. And we talk about this all the time. Like, who are the serious programs? Who are the unserious programs, right? Texas A&M is a serious program. They want to win very badly. Uh, and they went on, they got Jimbo, who, as we know, is this quarterback whisperer. My biggest concern with him is not, like, his, like, ability to coach a quarterback. It's his ability to put an offense in place that makes it easy on the quarterback. So, like, Mond was not a perfect quarterback. Again, like I said, he's very good, but you put so much, so much on his plate having to read a defense time in time out. Mm -hmm. And we're going to get to this when we talk about um, some stuff later in the, 
later in this interview with you, Justice, about how teams are, and we've talked about this before in the podcast, how teams are like limiting what the quarterback has to do. They don't do that at Texas A&M. They're no, running. I mean, that's an NFL playbook that like even guys like EJ Manuel were asked to do at yes. Florida State, which is why when you get a guy like Jameis, people are like, this is the best prospect since Andrew Luck. Like right. when they get that guy, that guy is going to be like top five pick. Like right. just because of if if he is actually that guy, like talent wise between that and what they're going to ask him to do, he's going to look like a superstar. But it's, it reminds me of my, my new take on Bruce Arians, which is that this is, he runs such a difficult Arians runs such a difficult offense like Jimbo that it's like, it looks horrible most years. But then you put a Tom Brady in, you put a very veteran Carson Palmer in, you put a, a Ben Roethlisberger in, like these top quarter Andrew Luck, even though he was early in his career. Like when, when you put the quarterback in in a Bruce Arians offense, it, it's sky's the limit because it's such a hard offense. You got to be super, so precise and you're throwing downfield a lot. It's super tough. But when you put the quarterback in, I mean, we're like, oh my God, Bruce Arians is the best you know, the best uh, offensive coordinator of all time. But then when you put, you know, a Jameis in, you put some other quarterbacks in, it, it's obviously doesn't look so good. And I think Jimbo is the same way. You put, Jam- you know, using Jameis as an example, you put Jameis in, like you said, oh my God, this is this is the best college football offense we've ever seen. All of a sudden you put Mond in, who's just, who's like obviously tier below or even two tiers below Jameis as a quarterback. And you're like, what are they doing? Like, they just can't, they have no consistency off. And so that, that is my thing with Jimbo. It's like, you can make it easier on yourself or you can do what Justice just said and like, hey, well, this is wait and we'll get the quarterback. Like LSU, hey, we'll just wait. We'll just like, we'll, we're going to make it super difficult on ourselves for 10 years. We're going to lose to Alabama every year and we're going to pray that eventually Joe Burrow falls into our laps. And that's right. what happened, which is fine. Like I'll take, I'll take a national championship any day over, uh, over over like consistent years without a national championship, but like that's kind of what both they're in. I feel the the big thing I think you have to worry about if you're like an A and M fan, right? Just in general, um, it's not 2021; it's 2022 when you get the defensive turnover and all yes. these guys walk out the building, yeah. and you're like, yes. "We got to replace them," and our offense has to make up some of that difference, right? Mm-hmm. Like 2022 is kind of like, is this sustainable? Gets answered. Or at least right. you get hints to the answer to that question. And you know, that's what and you're going to worry about. 100%. And that's why, like, I continue, I continue to beat the door on this, man. The window is tight. I know that people shrug. I know the justice kind of shrugged it off. And I'm sure there are other people who are in the SEC kind of shrug off this idea. But Oklahoma is coming. You know, like. That's a real right. thing. They, and they I, haven't recruited a blue chip defender since I I've been born, So I understand that. But one thing that you can say about Oklahoma is they are very good at identifying exactly what it is that they need to compete. There has there's not been an era in my life and probably and I don't think in my dad's mm-hmm. life where the University of Oklahoma has looked at the landscape and seen what they needed to be a national title contender and not stepped up to that. Now, do I think that that's going to be in an immediate overhaul? No. But what you can say now is even in the Big 12, they do have a legit NFL defensive line. <laughs> like their their pass rushers are real. Yeah. You know, their, their pass rushers are real. And now from there, I think if you can – and that's something that they've had before. You know, like they've had NFL-level pass rushers before in the Big 12. So from there, if you're able to get into Louisiana, get into Georgia, get into Florida and say, not only can we get those guys, but maybe we can pick a real DB or two out of this group, you know, 
that kind of changes the context again, because one thing we do know is that Lincoln Riley can put together a top three offense basically in a sleep. I think one thing that, so you talk about Oklahoma coming in, right? And Texas is going to come in too. Yeah, they, they have a football team. I don't know if you guys have heard. They have pretty loud fans. Um, but the pod system, right? Everyone thinks that they're going to go into a pod system because you just simply cannot have a conference that's that big and have like cross-divisional games at all in the schedule if you're going to just split it down the middle. It doesn't work Probably. unless you're going to play 11 conference games. And there's no way that right. there's no way the SEC yeah. teams are going no, to go for that. No, there's no reason. There's no reason yeah. that they would do that. They, they don't want to lose so you're half making, of 11 You're basically games. scheduling two losses for even your best teams at that yeah. point. Yeah. But the structure of the pods is going to be really important. I, I, I don't think that gets talked about enough. Like who you play, not even in your conference, but like in your division, the teams that you're going to play every year matter so much. Like mm-hmm. look at – Maryland and Rutgers right now. Those are awful jobs. And it's not because, I mean, it's a little bit because those programs aren't like necessarily ready to compete in the same way. But a lot of it too is I'm getting Ohio State every year. I'm getting right. Michigan. Every Michigan. Year. Every I'm getting year. Penn State every year. I'm right. getting Michigan State, which is like up and down, but at the very least, like they're average. Competent. <laughs> yeah, they're yeah. competent. So like when once they get to a pod system, I wonder how much that will help a&M when they're not necessarily playing Alabama every single season and they might not have to play LSU depending on how right. the lines are drawn, right? Where you can get the room to breathe to build up the ascension that you have at Georgia where, okay, I have to handle Florida. I can do that, right? Or it's, okay, can you handle Texas, Oklahoma, uh, LSU, Alabama, Auburn up and down? Like that's a right. much tougher ask. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Speaking of conferences, uh, I want to give a shout out to all the people this past year who have been doing the work on uh, twitter.com who have been saying, you know, Oregon or Oregon is like uh, the Ohio state and Clemson of the PAC 12, just completely ignoring that they went like 500 this past year. Like <laughs> it's only going to help the, you know, superpower programs like Oregon. And I'm like, that's great. The propaganda machines working. It's cranking. Yeah, that's uh that's the that's the Phil Knight agenda right there. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> I love it. Keep telling the high school kids Oregon is great. It's good. So um that I think this can lead us to um our, our next topic of conversation. Another argument we had the other night about where so we were talking about like how do you build a program? Is the fastest way to build a program competently? through defense or through offense. So Justice, you are an Oregon fan. I'm an LSU fan. So I think we come at it like anecdotally from two completely different. Right. So I saw LSU transform because Marcus Spears went there. You know what I mean? I saw LSU transform because those, those, that defensive line in the early 2000s changed everything. And then now you build the thing. Now we're talking about a different era. And then you come at it from an Oregon fan where like, hey, everything changed. Now, Oregon had, you know, these good teams or a good team with Joey Harrington early. But really, Oregon football is, was made by Chip Kelly and just being like, hey, we can just build this on offense and we're going to win a lot of games. So, like, we had this. So, I, like I said, I'm in this. You can build a program faster via the defense, which is why I'm like, you know, kind of using that Texas A&M example. It's like that's kind of where they've done it. They have a great defensive line and those type of kids fall off trees in SEC country. 
And then you're coming at it with like, hey, it's faster to do this on, on offense because, because Chip, that's how Chip Kelly did it. So, Deontay, are you, you want to be the middleman here? Yeah, I would love to hear. I want to hear Justice's take first and then kind of because I think that having cheered or having rooted for USC, like I've kind of seen it in a lot of different directions. And, you know, like they had there's a different context around mid 2000s USC in terms of first the guys that were even available to be recruited there, because a lot of those types of bodies aren't really in Los Angeles anymore or around Southern California anymore. And, you know, Oregon, obviously getting its rise is as he started on probation has kind of changed the context around it as well. So looking at how they've built it, you know, and then, you know, your example of LSU and a lot of the schools in the South as well, like there's almost this regionality to it in terms of how these programs get built. So I'm, I'm kind of interested from, from justice's point of view, because Oregon is not in a conventional position to be a power and they've been able to build it into it. So, and I think that that kind of informs your take uh, justice. Yeah. I want to say this up front. I'm an Oregon fan, a Packers fan, and I coach high school football, and I've only had scholarship quarterbacks. So <laughs> I'm kind of in this position where I'm like, yeah, you can find a quarterback. What do you mean you can't find a quarterback? Quarterbacks are just around. You just got to teach them. Yeah, so that's up front. Um, I think the fastest way to build success in college football is offense. And maybe not even college football, just football in general. In terms of return on investment, you can flip something in one year. I think we've seen that plenty. I think when you're talking about the strength of a program, that's on the defensive side because that's much harder, much less consistent, much less sustainable to be able to get that built. And that's why I think like the defensive coaches who are like, you know, saving Kirby, guys like that, where you can hang your hat on having a great defense, that's insane to me. The fact that a great defense can almost be assumed. Um, so in general, that's just kind of my thoughts. But I do think like Oregon, when they got that blue chip defensive lineman, they were always different. When they got Haloni Nada, they were different. When they got Eric Armstead, they were competing for national titles. And, you know, they had DeForest Buckner too, Defoe, which, you yep. know, that didn't hurt, even though he wasn't a blue chipper. Um, Kayvon Thibodeau. You know, he's there on defense, and now people are talking about that defense. And, you know, they're not even talking about the quarterback. Anthony Brown's at quarterback at Oregon. And that might be one of the most, uh, I guess, like, in terms of, like, expectations, some of the lowest quarterback expectations that we've seen since, like, Dakota Prukop transferred in from, like, Montana State, and then Justin Herbert took his job midway right. through the year. You know, like, I, I think when you get those blue chippers on defense, like, it takes so much off of the plate for the offensive side that it just makes a huge difference. Yeah. Seth, so I, how do you feel about it? Well, it, it's, it's so anecdotal because of our, our upbringing. And it's mm -hmm. like, I, I just see these, it's like LSU just like went so long. Um, well that they tried so many quarterbacks. Oh my God. In my lifetime, they tried so yeah, many. Yeah, how can you find one? I don't know. Yeah, it's like, how, it's, like, it. <laughs> it's like it's like must have been wrong so... with you. <laughs> uh, and then it's like you know, like the D line just fell off the trees, like it fell off the D line fell off trees. It's like they're just always going to be defensive linemen. In and I think, like John just said, there is a regionality to this because like those players are just available. And I also think it's just like one of the differences with offense and defense is that you know all 11 positions on the field to, for the most part on defense, 
are just like, hey, if you're just big and strong and fast, like you you can play. Whereas on offense, it's like that for 10 out of the 11 positions. You know, with quarterback being the one exception where it's like, no, you got to find a guy who's different. Who Because these, the kids who come out um, who are may, maybe four and five stars who we see them in high school just being bigger and faster and stronger than their high school competition, that does not make a good college quarterback um, all the time. Sometimes it does, but not all the time. So that's why I think about defense being like, it's just easier. You just go find freaks. Go find freaks. You'll build a defense. It'll take two seconds. Two seconds. It'll take, uh, uh, you know what I mean? It'll take a lot less time than than going to find this the the quarterback position like Alabama had trouble and Alabama still won obviously with with okay quarterbacks but LSU and and, and LSU still won with okay quarterbacks because I think the defense was just so easy for them kind of like fell into their lap not to say the Saban uh, and all the LSU defensive coordinators over the years were were not good I mean they were great and but it just felt like it was just easier to find athletes plug them in and then you're good to go you guys don't throw the ball down south? Like, I, I don't I don't get it. Like, how are you evaluating these DBs, but there's no go- good quarterbacks around? I, I don't understand. You know what? I kind of have, I guess, a sideways look at it. I don't even really know, right? Because I think a lot of the two, we've kind of caught this changing within this era of football about the trajectory of these programs. And I think a lot of that is probably tied more to, like, the wide receiver position than quarterback. Because I don't think that quarterback now, I don't think that quarterback now is really any different than what it was in 93 or 2003 or 2013 or what it's going to be like in 2023. I think that the rest of the athletes around them has changed. So now the reason why I feel like it's maybe, and this is why I want to make sure that we're kind of speaking clearly about exactly what it is that we're saying. Like, is it easy? I think it's easier to identify what it takes to become a championship level program on defense than it is on offense. Um, because like you said, all you're trying to do is go find those freak athletes, right? You're, you're basically kind of, at least coming out of the high school level, you're not necessarily looking for refinement outside of like maybe the cornerback position where you just kind of have to have a certain level of technical prowess, even at edge rusher at the college level, a lot of this stuff for 10 out of the 11 positions, is kind of like height, weight, speed, you know, the same way that we kind of look at pro scouting on like a very fundamental level, right? Do you have the, do you have the body type and can you move with your body type, you know, and that, that kind of decides a lot of it. Um, so I, I've, I've always kind of looked at it like, well, now that receiver as a technical position has progressed to this point where there's basically one everywhere that can be a legitimate threat that's changed the context for how offenses are built. And because you can go get, a lot of receivers, maybe not blue chip receivers, but we're seeing a lot of programs, even at the G5 level that are able to say, hey, we maybe not we can't get NFL receivers. But what we can do is lean into speed. And that's just what we're going to do. We're going to lean all the way into speed. We'll try to get as many tall guys who are state champion, 400 meter runners or 100 meter runners as we can. And then we can build the offense off of we'll just be fast. We don't got to be faster than you every play. I only need four or five plays where, where I'm faster than you. That's how a UCF becomes UCF. That's how a Baylor became a Baylor. You know, that's how Syracuse looked competent for a second when Baylor started there. Yeah. You know, like these things happen, you know, that I think that that's kind of how it's happening now. So I think like because the talent is starting to change the way that people are thinking schematically on offense, it's a little bit easier to create a competent offense without necessarily having to have blue chip talent. So I do think it's a little bit easier on the offensive end to put it together. 
defensively, I mean, it's never changed. It's never going to change. You got to have special guys up front. You got to have special guys on the edges of your defense. If, if you want to be a real defense, you know, every once in a while you get like what a Venables has where he doesn't necessarily have like a number one corner, but what he does have is like five DBs that all run four, four that changes things, you know, yeah. and your, your four, four safeties can also fit the box. They can go cover a slot. They can also blitz like that's unique, you know, um, but for the most I mean, part, there, like, there's there's a reason why a lot of those Clemson guys go into the NFL and then the NFL guys take them right off of off of height, weight, speed. And then they're like, what the hell do we do with this guy? Right. They're actually, <laughs> not, they're actually not refined. It just been asked to do 100 different things. And within the context of the scheme, they all look great because they're protected by other guys who run four yeah. fours, you know, so that's that's kind of what I find to be interesting is I just think that now the context for a lot of identifying how you build your program is changing. Like to your point about Clemson, if you look at it from the offensive end, they've been a contender every year for like the past six years. And I can maybe name three offensive linemen who look like they could even play in the pros that's played at Clemson. And none of them that are, like I mean, good they pros. haven't had a quality and yeah, no, no good pros. Like you're talking about like day three offensive lineman types. I mean, and they do weird stuff like sprint outs and like no team runs more draws than more draws, sprint draws. Right. They, they love sprint, sprint draw these rollout screens. Yeah. yeah. Like it definitely like doesn't necessarily like one-to-one translate to the next level or even what you're seeing in the rest of college football. Um, another thing that's interesting, I think just like hashtag program talk, right? I fundamentally think the biggest difference between what we're seeing in college football right now than like peak USC, for example, is the fact that you don't have to recruit your backyard. The fact that everyone has a huddle account, the fact that every high school in the country is getting HD video and it can be seen and uploaded the moment after a game, that changes so much that I don't think people understand that like, that's why Ohio State can go into Texas. And right. get Quinn Ewers. Like that's right. why you can look at Alabama's wide receiver core. They're all coming from Miami. Right. I'll just say they <laughs> like, go sign the number one like player that. in everybody else's they're state. Coming, they're taking coming from Toronto, every okay. other state. <laughs> <laughs> coming from Canada. But that, that's a real thing. I mean, yeah. it's a real thing. And yeah. not only does it mean that you don't have to, you kind of can't just recruit your own backyard because that's no. not the game that everybody else is playing. You know, Ohio State could not live off of its own 500 mile radius. It would never work like that. What's his name? Uh, Tommy Togiai, I think was his name. The uh, defensive tackle Ohio State got highest recruit ever in the state of Idaho. (laughs) Idaho. I didn't know that. You know, he's a good player. Yeah, like that, that's the type of stuff that we're talking about where it's Mm -hmm. everything is national brand. Everything is national brand. Everything is national recruiting. That is so much different than when you had to like physically send a scout out to a high school game or a high school camp or something like that, where now you can like, you're doing the quality control of who do we actually like want to even consider recruiting on the front end. And then from there you whittle it down once they actually get to your camps. Mm -hmm. That's the huge difference, I think. And that's something like, that's kind of Pandora's box, man. That's never going to go away. Like we are now in a national recruiting scene period. That's how this kind of works now. It makes me sad, not like I don't really care about like tradition and mod- modernity. Oh, the like Canadian doesn't stuff. care about the tradition <laughs> in college football? That's funny. Yeah, that's, that's nice. What I do care about is like something that bothers me is that we've, we're, we're going so far away from 
regionality in like schematic regionality, which I always thought was a really cool thing in football, um, whether it was high school or college, I was not really in the pros, but like, you know, you just have regions where they were running wink T and you would have regions where they were running wishbone and stuff like that. And now like we, we've, we've lost that uh, because you can obviously just go on, you know, a coach Huey or whatever, and just like find whatever the hell you want, or you just like Google like dagger concept, and it's like, oh, well, now I know how to run dagger concept. Like, well, whatever. Venables did that, right? He he said uh, against Auburn, he like Googled like how how to stop single wing. Yeah, and then he was like, yeah, I, I did it. <laughs> no, That's I didn't know that. That's I amazing. Th- I think that the reason why he does all of the three down three high stuff was basically trying to figure out who was the best against like the four open spread, and was like, oh. It's Hecot at Iowa State. Yeah. They run Tampa two out of three down. I'm just going to go sit with them and I'll sit with them as long as I need to, um, to figure it out. I mean, same with, I think we've all, we've all watched that Kirby smart clinic where he went to go sit with Todd Orlando mm. right after they got blown out by Ohio state when he was at Bama. I was like, Oh, you can run the three, four at a nickel personnel. Maybe we should do that. Boom. Brand new, whole brand new era of Alabama defense born out of that. Like that's, that's kind of where we're at now. The idea of like, you know, we only do certain things in certain places is definitely leaving. Um, it hasn't necessarily trickled over to, you know, my region of the world. Thankfully, thankfully, I, I don't want to see all these RPO heavy offenses. I'm kind of, <laughs> I'm kind of happy with dealing with all the 21 personnel, you know, it, it, it allows me to get a good six and a half, seven hours of sleep instead of four and a half or five. So I'll take it. Yeah. I get jealous of you guys who like see actual spread stuff in high school ball because i'm up here in oregon i mean single wing baby dude single wing wing, man i think i saw one team in the shotgun all this whole past year and again Mm -hmm. i mean covid season so like you don't know if like that's a whole playbook or what teams were even dealing with because i know we were dealing with so much stuff not being able to get in weight room and all that but yeah man i mean you could have looked at a game from like 1950 and it pretty much would have been the same stuff outside of the uniforms right yeah, for so, me here, we've been spread for a long time. Like, you cannot live in a world where you're not a one-back shotgun team in Canada. Uh, and it's been, like, 15 years. Like, it's all I know. I, I don't know. You can't, I can't even begin to understand how to stop a single wing, a wing tee, you know, these type of options. Barefront, baby. Barefront. <laughs> Barefront yeah, bare is going to help you a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yes, sir. Um, yes, sir. So I think that actually kind of transitions off of this conversation and building offenses to something else I know we wanted to talk about. So Justice, you're probably the most passionate defender of like the vertical read, the middle read passing concept out of like the H back spread stuff that Baylor really popularized in the mid uh, 2010s and the pistol. So I would love to kind of give you the floor. You know, I'm not sure how often you get to talk about this at APC. So I kind of want to give you this floor to, you know, kind of spread your testimony about why why it is so important, why it's worked at the college level, and you know what what its significance is for modern offense. Yeah, I think you're going to see it everywhere, and it's starting to trickle into the mm-hmm. SEC now. Um, you know, Arkansas is doing it. Yeah. Uh, Ole Miss is doing it. Some yeah. um, obviously, yeah. Heupel is going to Tennessee. Yeah. yeah, those aren't necessarily like great programs, right? But once one shows them that, like, hey, we can win with the guys that we're recruiting. I think that's when you're going to start seeing like Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, teams like that being like, why don't we just do this with our guys? Because because it's really like one on one stuff. Right. So they're going to say at some point, like, 
hey, our ones can beat their ones. Why aren't we just doing that? And that makes the game a whole lot easier. Um, what we're talking about is basically like the the Bryles type of stuff that they did after RG3. And that's an important um, caveat because with RG3, there were a lot of four open stuff. They were trying to run option. I'll say they ran veer option before. Yeah. yeah. The old offense. They're running option, option a lot. Once RG3 left, they realized we need to figure out a run game that we can do while still keeping these like they're basically route conversions. They're just uh, deep that's... route conversions um, while while keeping those live. So, so I'm going to cut you off really quick and say that the, that a point you made on the front end is actually, to me, is the most important thing because this is a conversation Seth and I have had about the air raid. That conversation about the evolving the offense is actually like we can't live in a single back run game world. It does not last. It's not sustainable. There has to be an element of two back runs to maximize the running game. And then from there, you're able to stack all the vertical passing that you're about to get into off of it. So I just want the listeners to know that that's what's really at the foundation of it. I know nobody likes to talk about the run game because it's not sexy. You know, you don't get explosive plays out all that often out of the run game. But two back runs is still like the most important piece of building out like the rest of your offensive scheme. Otherwise, to me, you're just a gimmick offense. If all you have are single back runs, to me, that's a gimmick offense. Yeah, especially in the shotgun where you can just set the front opposite of the back and you're going to say, you know, if the quarterback, if the running back is lined up to the left of the quarterback, well, he has to cross the quarterback to get the ball. So it's probably going to the right. That's just way too much information to give to the defense pre-snap if you're not going to hit uh, same side run game uh, a ton. Or if you don't want your quarterback to run. Exactly. Yeah. And like some teams have gotten away with it, like. For example, like Notre Dame, I think has done a great job of doing same side runs um, with a non-mobile quarterback. They have Notre Dame offensive linemen. I, right. I don't think that's and they play out of twelve and, thir- and they play out of twelve and thirteen personnel, which right. is creating extra gaps. Right. So, like again, even if you're not using two traditional backs, the idea of additional gaps in the running game is still the foundation of it. Like that's what this is all about. Right. And so, going back to Baylor. Right. They're two back stuff. They use a sniffer. So what that sniffer is, is he's essentially a fullback in the shotgun. Um, a lot of people are going to think, hey, that's not really different from a tight end. Right. I mean, they're both blocking most of the time. They're especially in that Baylor system. They're not really going on routes. So how is that different than a traditional tight end? The difference is that guy isn't on the ball. And when that guy isn't on the ball, he can hit multiple gaps. So you can have him, you know, fit inside uh inside run game like iso you can have him slice across the formation on the backside of zone so that you know your quarterback doesn't have to pull that ball when that defensive end crashes on the back um stuff like that so with that where you can have an inside run game in the backfield being off of two back without a tight end um unless you want to count that sniffer a tight end in terms of like personnel it's not really different in terms of alignment it makes a world of difference then they widen out those three wide receivers. And that's the difference between the RG3 stuff, right? Where RG3, it was a lot of four wide. Well, now if we have a back in the backfield on top of our tailback, now we can only go three wide. And then from there, it's all one-on-one matchups and they line up so wide, you have to play man. Because those zones get stretched out so much that you can say, hey, you have the flat. Well, it doesn't matter if I have to run 35 yards to hit that flat, you know? At that point, that that becomes you you can blame it on the kid all you want like if you're not running a 
a four second flat 40, you're not making that play. So that's on the coaching staff. So you have to adjust. So you're, you, you saw a lot of teams in the big 12 at the end of the Brile stuff where you end up seeing like West Virginia, just basically playing man all game, because that's the only way that you could stop um, them throwing the ball over your head. Um, the other thing I'll say about that two back stuff where you're saying, you know, single back game, it's not really made, you know, it's not long for this earth, basically. Baylor was running for 250 yards on the ground while they were passing for 300. Yes. Like again, people forget was, about how tough that's, that's the been. part of the offense that mattered is that Lake Seastrunk was averaging like 220 yards rushing a game. Yeah. Like that, that's the part that makes it like when you talk about creating these issues for a defense, the wide splits are an issue itself, but if the team can't run the ball, I can just play three over two, you know, we right. can, we can play with, I can get as wide as we need to get to cover guys. But if I do that and a team's running power and they're running power into space because I don't have an extra fitter, that's an issue. Now you start having to make these difficult decisions where it's like, okay, we have to play man. We have to spin in a single high. And now I just kind of have to cross my fingers that my corners can run with the state champion sprinters out on the perimeter. Um, That's, that's like when you start talking about that kind of chess match between what defenses and offenses are doing, and it's not even as it may not even have to be as extreme as Baylor, because to me, Lincoln Riley lives in that same kind of world. He just doesn't use as wide of splits. But the idea is the same. We'll play with the true H back, a true fullback type. That's kind of or like an H back that's right in between a tight end and a fullback. If it's like, you know, your Rodney Anderson type and we'll run power or run counter, they can run counter tray. And it's not like gimmick counter tray because they have that H back that can kick out the weak side in. So you don't have to read the guy to keep him out of the play. And then it's, it's play action game and it's all wide cross. Same idea with Alabama. Like they kind of operate off of that same idea. Like we get into 11 personnel with the Y off. We can run pin and pull. We can run power. We can run ISO. We can run split zone. Um, we'll get in the pistol. Like, like we're about to talk to you later. We can get in the pistol and run outside zone. That's a diverse menu of run calls that you don't get out of like traditional single back that forces the defense to have to think about how you have to fake each and every one of those runs. Some of those runs, you can't just live in three down and say, we're going to be in, you know, three over twos over on either side. It's not really tenable long-term, you know, or it just adds so much out of your defensive line and linebackers. So it just creates all of these issues. So that when you do spin in a single high, you know, Sark has talked about this before. That's the goal. Spin you in a single high, play action, crossers, play action, deep options on the outside. That's Clemson's offense. Everything that they do with the misdirection is to force you to get in a single high. Now we have this transcendent quarterback and we'll throw these digs. We'll throw these corners. We'll throw these, you know, post corner routes. All of these things are all built off of running the ball, smashing you with the run game enough to force you in a single high and then taking our shots downfield from there. Yeah. Like yeah I, I, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I, th- I think the Oklahoma stuff and the Clemson stuff, the big difference between, and the, they're both somewhat different. We just talked about already like sprint outs and, and draws for Clemson. Like no team does it like they do. Um, but they do use more traditional play concepts and it's more on uh, the offensive coordinator to get them into the right play than the kids seeing the right play, right. you know, mid play. That's the difference between Baylor because the Baylor right. stuff it's, it's not shoot, really the run and shoot stuff, but they they convert routes like a run and shoot team would. Mm-hmm. And then you pair that with their run game, 
and their run game really is like if you took a veer coach, which is what Browse was, and you put him into a shotgun sniffer set, how they would run it, which mm-hmm. is different. Like they run inside zone different than everyone in the country. That yes. makes it hard to practice against, right? Like they those route conversions. Are you teaching your wide receivers how to do those route conversions in practice? Those are things that like Baylor spent spent more time in team period than anyone in the country. They were hardly doing any individual stuff because that stuff takes so much chemistry to get right. Yes. Now think about trying to in one week, not even one week, like five days, getting college kids right when you only have them 20 hours a week and telling those wide receivers, hey, run this thing that Baylor runs so that our starters can get good looks against them. You're going to get bad looks at a certain point just because of how hard it is to replicate what that looks like in practice, almost in the same way that like the triple option guys who are playing against like spread teams, like you Mm -hmm. just don't have the guys in practice who could do that. Mm -hmm. And that becomes a very difficult thing to handle in and and of itself. I mean, as a defensive coach, you're basically guessing on what your route conversions are going to be. You don't know, you don't know based on your coverage show, you know, you're, you're, and you have to judge against what the speed is that you're dealing with. Like, there are, there are these layers of problems, you know, when it comes to scouting against stuff like that. I mean, that was LSU's, that was what LSU banked on basically in 2019. Like, we only have really four or five concepts that we run. Everything's out of 11 personnel. All we're doing is looking at the shell of your coverage and looking at your front. And we're going to have the best, we're going to have the best play call. I see you kind of licking your lips up because you know that they're also looking at the sideline to see <laughs> what the defense might be in. Uh, I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you guys something on that. Uh, so when I was working with XFL, right, we had heard David Shaw was on the competition committee. There are a lot of SEC coaches who wanted a to basically green dot um, someone on the defense after that LSU year. Explain green. They dot. were just. Green dot is the radio and the helmet for, uh, you know, usually a Mike linebacker, I guess some teams use their safeties, Uh, basically Mm -hmm. like communication to the sideline that doesn't have to be visual or like someone yelling out. I know Lane Kiffin whistles to audible. Uh, I think that's kind of interesting. I didn't know that. That's wild. I guess it carries the sound of it carries in an SEC stadium. So that's how he does it. Um, But so they basically wanted comms from the sideline straight into a player's helmet because LSU was just so good at being able to look at the other sideline across from them, mm-hmm. see what the calls were, and then just handle the protections, handle the offensive audibles. I mean, Joe Burrow was just basically getting the play call, running the play. He wasn't having to make those type of checks, and SEC teams kind of got tired of it. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know if how hard they would have pushed for that if Brady would have stayed at LSU and they would have kept being able to do that consistently. Um, but that offseason, hey, man, those SEC coaches were pissed. Well, pissed. I know. Uh, I know how Ryan Day felt about my favorite defensive coordinator after that 2019 playoff game, and it's not the first time I've heard that rumor about you know how they do things at Clemson. You know, I don't want anybody at Clemson to think that it's an accusation. You know, if you're good at it, you're good at it, man. I mean, I it happens. You you see, I mean, all those ASU was big into that. Everyone knows that. I mean, yeah, to say, I mean, you watch you watch a Pac-12 game and they have sheets. They have sheets on like around the OCs, yeah. Around the OCs, but not only just around the OCs, but the back of the sheets were the angles. They they were angled at the press box because yes. they know they knew they were getting eyes from the press box and the TV camera signals run into the sideline, <laughs> yeah. get the play in, and then now we have a perfect check yeah. for what they just called in. Yeah, look, I, I always said if you're not going to do a good job of hiding your stuff, then I'm then 
that's on you. Like, sorry, that's, that's why I think you. the baseball stuff's so funny, dude. They're banging trash cans saying, hey, a fastball is coming. And I'm like, dude, this is happening in, like, middle yeah. school football games. Yeah, like, what exactly. are we even talking about? You're, you're I don't, I'm serious. I personally don't pick signals because I'm too arrogant of a defensive coordinator. <laughs> but I'm not going to lie and say that. I'm not going to lie and say that if, you know, one of my assistants say that they pick up on a tendency that they can't tell me, you know. <laughs> but well, like To every high school coach out there. The number one thing you need to figure out a way to differentiate between right and left without yeah. using your left and right hands. That's hey. the biggest thing. Because hey, you know I mean, if you know what the field, if you want to call, no. if you want to call Zorro and Zeal, you know, it's not. I don't. I don't know how many other things that can be. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. Like, hey, man, they say red and blue every time, and every time it's blue, it's you know, every time it's an L word, it goes left. Every time it's right, it's right. It's an R word. It's like, yeah. uh you got to change it up a little bit. The kids know at least that. Uh, yeah, I uh, I remember one time I was watching and I saw some OC on the sideline do like a swinging of the bat, like swinging a bat. And I'm like, well, I, I wonder if the running back's about to catch a swing pass right now. And it's like, yo, that's, that's on you to like go down the rabbit hole two more steps to remove yourself from swing means swing the bat. Like do something baseball and then do Orioles. And here it's a bird chirping. Oh, that's swing. Like whatever. Anyways, we, um, we use that for a uh, slug. Which was oh, our snag. So our go. snag, that was slug because bat and slug. I don't know anything about baseball. The kids <laughs> knew it. That's all that mattered. Um, so um, we're talking about uh, offenses creating uncertainty <laughs> in defenses. And I think a lot of people are living through uh, uncertain times. And in these times, life is full of questions like, when should I start thinking about life insurance? But however difficult these questions may be, Western and Southern can help you answer them. Backed by over 130 years of experience together, we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western and Southern, Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments, compensated endorser, products issued by member companies of Western and Southern Financial Group, Cincinnati, Ohio. Okay, so um, one of the things I want to talk about going back to the, um, talking about the Baylor stuff, something that became very clear to me. So two things that you guys talked about, playing man against it. Uh, I watched Kent State, because we had Dustin Crum on the podcast uh, a couple of months ago, and they were on that this the super spreader offense. And when they went up, so they can go and they can destroy other MAC teams. But what, two years ago, they went up against Arizona State, and you're talking about a team that can just man up and and, and beat you. And that's like kind of became clear to me when I watched that tape. It was like, oh, if you just man up against them, you're still good in the box. You can still stop the run game because you have numbers. And then you know all these all these vertical routes you don't have a big route tree, you know, it's vertical and then it's either go post or, or come back. So it's like, you don't have a lot there. And if you just man up, then that's a problem. And then the other flip side is, I don't know if you guys remember when Mississippi state played LSU uh, in, in Starkville, uh, Dan Mullen versus Dave Aranda. And what Mullen was doing was running that now it's a different offense, obviously, but to a certain degree that he had ran some of these principles where he would go, trips to one side no trips and he would go wide trips so this is exactly what we're talking about like let's put everyone as wide as all their three split receivers as wide as possible and it's kind of like what you were saying Deontay is like well where's your overhang like if you want to play the four over three or three over two to receivers that are standing on the sideline you're a nickel he's got to stand on the sideline too mm -hmm. and, and it's, it's like what you're saying justice about like oh well like 
there's so much space in the zones. Like you got to, yeah. and you have to go play there. And what Mullen was doing, obviously it helped that he had a quarterback who can run. It was Nick Fitzgerald at the time, but he was like, Oh, you want to go spread out all the way to the sideline. That's where I'm going to run the football. Like I'm going to create this hole that you just don't have any players for. Or if you do have a player, you know, LSU would bump out um, the mic. It's like, Hey, you might have a player there, but he's in so much space that we can take advantage of him. And that's when it kind of became clear to me, this, this kind of dichotomy that these, that this super spreader over splitter offense is doing to you is if you want to do this, you're giving us so much space here. And if you want to do something else, you're giving us so much space on the outside. And I think that, going back to kind of what justice had said originally, which is just everyone's doing it now. Yeah. And it's like, if you don't have a, if you have a quarterback who can read a defense consistently and, you know, go back to the same thing that I always do. If you have Joe Burrow, yeah, no problem. You can read a defense. You can run all your quick game. You can run all your empty. You can do all anything you want. Great. Most teams don't have that. So it's like, hey, well, what are the, what are the teams doing that don't have that who can still generate offense? And if it's coming to the SEC now, you talked about Hypola, Tennessee, we talked about Ole Miss, talked about Arkansas, you know, Florida State had run it, uh, UNC runs it, blah, blah, blah. It worked with Hypo when he was in the SEC before at Missouri as the offensive coordinator. It's like, yeah, why, why don't we just get into this stuff? And then it's like, we can, if we find that we have a great quarterback, great. We'll add some more stuff. Like we can add as much, um, you know, middle read stuff we want. But if we don't, then we're already good because we're, this is the offense we run. But it's like, I don't think you can go the other way and just be like, oh shit. Now we're, we have this huge playbook. We have Jimbo Fisher's playbook. Now we don't have a quarterback. What do we do? Like, it's tough to go and be like, okay, now we're just going to go run all this you know, vertical option stuff. Cause like you said, it takes so much practice. It takes so much you, you, you have time. to commit to it. Like it, if you're like, going to do that, it's like almost the only thing that you can do. I was going to say, it's not, it. this is not a package of plays. This is an offense unto itself. There's yeah. no such thing. It's like the saying, triple. It's like the yeah. triple in that way. It's the air rate. It's just like the air rate. It's just like the triple. You either do it or you don't. There is no like, Hey, we'll just borrow X, Y, and Z and do that. Like, so really what I think, the conversation about this offense really we're treat we have to treat it the same way we do the triple and the yep. air raid, which is that certain programs, if you're an SEC program and you know that you you can't get over that 50% on the blue chip ratio, you can't get into that 65, 70% that Alabama, Georgia, you know, the 80% that those schools can get into, but you also want to be competitive enough to where, hey, if we can't beat them, we got to make sure that we beat Kentucky, that we beat Tennessee, that we beat South Carolina that we beat the Mississippi schools, it makes sense to go in this direction because all you need are a couple of things. You don't got to be, you know, across the board, more talented than everybody else. What you've got to have is what, you know, when Ole Miss was running through the SEC for that couple of years, it was the same kind of idea. When Auburn gives teams trouble, gave teams trouble under Malzahn, it's the same idea. I don't have to beat you 11 for 11. I just got to have the right guys in three or four spots and then the scheme is going to handle everything else because the scheme has answers for whatever it is that you're trying to do. Are we going to put so much stress on your defense that you've got to play us a very particular way? And the scheme has answers for it. To me, that's the reason why Clemson can always compete, even when they're playing up against teams that are also contenders that have more talent than them, because that that specific type of offense requires a specific type of defense. 
you can't always run something elaborate because they're only running a certain package of plays and all that elaborate stuff you do is kind of not that it's useless, but that's not, you're not taking away what it is that they want to do most anyhow. You know what I'm saying? So that's, that's really what I think that we'll see the future of football be for these schools who are in power five conferences, but are also not actually competitive. I think it's really interesting that where, where you're seeing the growth in this type of offense too, because you're seeing it, SEC schools that want to be better than they are right now, mm-hmm. right? And then, so there's a, a level of, I, I don't know if desperation is the right word, but there's like a level of desperation in that you aren't there, but you want to be, right? right. And then you're seeing it in the MAC because it's not, it's not just Kent State. It's Eastern Michigan. It's mm-hmm. Western Michigan. Yeah. All of them are running that stuff. Mm-hmm. And some of them, I mean, uh, I talked to a couple guys who are um, – who played at Baylor to talk to kind of like pick their mind about that offense last summer. Um, and they were saying that, you know, they didn't really like the pistol because of the depth of it. And it just took way too long, but I mean, Western Michigan's doing it out of, out of the pistol right now. You could go watch um, what's his name, Dwayne Eskridge, that wide yeah. receiver that just got drafted by the Seahawks. Mm-hmm. I think in like the second, mm-hmm. so much of that is just Baylor stuff off, off of pistol looks, you yeah. know, I mean, that's what it is, honestly. So I think it's kind of weird that it's like, starting at like Mac, like Midwest programs that like borderline should be supporting football at this level. And then SEC schools that want to be better than they are. Like it's, it's just such a weird split that you're seeing, like where the actual location of this offense is in America right now. Uh, I think that this is good because it leads us to the next type of offense that I think we want to talk about. So, you know, Deontay talked about it and I wrote an article being like, Hey, you know, instead of, instead of, uh, clamoring that your team, your Kansas, your Arkansas, your Missouri, whatever, should run the option. It's like, hey, you should actually run this super spread or oversplit offense. And then the other offense that I see becoming kind of that way too, and you kind of mentioned it with the pistol, is this like pistol outside zone thing that has become super popular in the NFL. Uh, well, not not out of pistol, but the outside zone stuff and the boot up, boots and keepers off that stuff has become super popular in the NFL. You're seeing it slowly, just like this super spreader offense, kind of slowly find its way into college football. You're, I think you that's have, a that's a credit to Satterfield and yeah. all the App State guys. Yeah, I think that, so too. I think that's kind of where it starts. Um, you know, Lightpool I mean, did the, a lot of it at alt, Buffalo. The alt stuff a little bit, but I don't think anyone is like from the alt tree. Well, right. So yeah. I wrote, the, I wrote an article two months ago being like, you know, kind of the, the evolution of the pistol with the idea being that this pistol thing that Nevada was running with alt and Kaepernick in 2008 or nine or whatever it was, was a very specific type of offense. It was yes, an option. That's midline, offense. That's it was midline, midline right? Your option stuff. Yeah. A lot of just like, whole stuff too. Right. Yeah. They were, like, they were yeah, running as much outside sweep zone and stuff off of it. Yeah. They're just, so it's like, we're, we're, we're running option, but we're trying to kind of be in this middle point of, Hey, we don't want to be under center anymore because under center it's 2008. And who the fuck wants to be under center in 2008? Cause like, you know, the spread has, is upon us. But then we're like, hey, one of the problems is, especially at that time, who knew how to gun run, right? It, was, it just wasn't that developed. So you're like, hey, well, what's the kind of balance is to put the back, you know, put the quarterback at three and a half yards, four yards, 
and then put the back behind the quarterback, and then we can still run our, all our option stuff. But what we're seeing now in college football is more of that NFL stuff where we're going to go in pistol, except we're not. it's not to run option. It's to stretch the defense horizontally with this outside zone um, type of scheme, which – and we, you know, we kind of talked about this on Monday. Deontay is like, yeah, that the outside zone scheme can work. It's a good running scheme, like anything else, sound running scheme. But it's really like the whole idea is we're, we're going to stretch you horizontally so that we can boot and create explosive right. plays off the play action. And yeah, and so it, it was just one of the reasons we had you on because I know you've done a lot of research on this type of. You're you're just. It, <laughs> I said this on the split zone pod, split zone duo podcast with our friends. Uh, um richard uh alex and 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 steven but like whenever there's a pist- a guy playing in the pistol offense you can be sure that justice has him as a top five quarterback <laughs> in college football All right. Enough. <laughs> so, you know how you know how much like ohio bobcats film i've broken down over the years when hey, like so much was nathan uh nathan o'rourke is the starting quarterback for the bc lions so like he's canadian right yeah he's one of yours yeah. <laughs> no, it, it it really is that. I mean, it's all about the quarterback's alignment and the running back's alignment. And that sounds very stupid and very simple, but that's literally what you're doing. So because the running back is directly behind the quarterback, you can still do your under center runs uh, traditionally because the quarterback is not under center. You don't have to teach him the footwork to drop back into the pass. So because of those two things, a lot of things get helped. What becomes difficult in the pistol is getting that running back involved in the passing game, not just running routes, but also in pass protection. This is what I mean by that. When the running back is in the gun, he's at like four and a half yards. When the running back is in uh, the pistol, he's at seven. Think about how much harder it is to run a wheel route, right? That's why Oklahoma doesn't do it because they want to get the running back involved in the passing game. Think about how hard it is. You're seeing this a lot with the Rams, honestly, um, in the NFL, everyone walks down their linebackers. Everyone walks down their linebackers. And then what do you have to do? You have to move the back up in um, from his like alignment. Sniffer because position, he, basically. Yeah, exactly. Because he's not going to block someone from depth at that, at that uh, alignment. So that becomes something that you definitely have to handle and is a little bit different. Um, the other thing, too, is like the quick hitters. A lot of teams want to run jet. Jet hits different when it's under center than when it's in the pistol, just because of when that ball gets there. Mm-hmm. Um, in the same vein, that's one of the reasons why it's better to run outside zone from the pistol than it is from the gun. Think about the handoff mechanics. So two things. One, alignment-wise, pre-snap. In the gun, you're giving the defense an indication of where the ball is going to go in the run game because of the offset back. If the back is offset to the right, they can say, hey, the running back has to run left to go outside on us. We're going to set a hard, hard edge to the left. If that running back is directly behind the quarterback, you can no longer do those things. So that's a benefit that the pistol gives you. Um, the second thing is if you are running outside zone from the gun, the quarterback's mechanics to hand off that ball, the ball is never leaving the point of sight from the defensive side. If you're a linebacker, I can see where the ball is the entire time during that right. handoff. In outside zone, when you're running like true stretch stuff, like either under center or in the pistol, that ball goes away because you're seeing the back of the you're seeing the quarterback's nameplate. That ball's disappearing for a little bit. And that's why all those boot teams, whether it's under center in the NFL or pistol in college football, that's why they're doing it. The fact that the ball disappears messes with 
maybe not messes with the linebackers eyes, but definitely messes with the confidence that they're seeing with their eyes. Yes. Yeah. It's one of the things that I noticed when I put on the tape for these pistol teams is even when they're running a more downhill run. So the outside zone is exactly what you said. The quarterback is going to turn his back. He's going to run Peyton Manning stretch. You know what I mean? Turn his back, run. He's going to find the, find the, the, the mesh point. He's going to go. But even when they're trying to run more of a downhill run, like inside zone, it's not inside zone read They, I mean, they can't do that. Obviously everyone has inside zone read, but like, you know, he'll turn his back as well. It's just a tighter, tighter mesh point. So it's, you're still getting that same look, even though you're running kind of two different runs, even though there's, there's, they, they hand it off there. to the front side instead of the back. Yeah, side. exactly. That's, that's, that's the it. biggest difference is yes. If, if that makes any sense, if you're handing off to the front side, you can then boot backwards. That's it. When you think of inside zone, traditionally, like in the college football context, and you think of read option, you're thinking of the quarterback, just like basically standing there and then looking at the backside of the run. That's not what these pistol teams are doing. Um, Sometimes they do some of that stuff, usually with a off tight end. They weren't really using like sniffers and stuff like that in Nevada, but you have to remember all that zone slice where the tight end is coming across the formation, just kicking out that unblocked man on the line of scrimmage or arc where, you know, he's, he's basically bluffing that block and then peeling up field and then blocking a safety cornerback linebacker, someone, someone downfield on the option. All that stuff started with Nevada. Um, yeah. People have implemented that stuff differently across a college football. And I do think that you're identifying where it came from correctly in that like app state, like those guys, those guys are different. Um, I think Ohio was a very unique place for a long time in terms of the pistol, but it's not like that. Those ideas didn't escape the university of Ohio. Like it didn't trickle down anywhere else. And you know, the, the Mac is kind of insular in that way, but like, they were doing stuff with O'Rourke where they figured out, again, another thing about the pistol, right? It's all about depth of the quarterback, depth of the running back. That makes it tough on you on read option, which is why a lot of these teams aren't doing that. When your quarterback isn't Lamar Jackson and he can't make up that that time. I was going to say, the mesh point takes so long yes. out of pistol. It takes so long. So, so what Ohio did was they said, to hell with read option. We're just going to run speed option. Like those teams used to do under right. center. Yeah. And that's how we're going to get the extra. Like that. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I think that stuff is really fun. Um, and I definitely think that stuff's going to work in college football. It's just, there's not a lot of teams running like traditional speed option and it's not even that expensive of a play. No. Like we talk about expensive, right? Where uh, the Baylor stuff, the Baylor stuff, super expensive. You basically have to spend all your practice time on it. speed option. You're running to the edge. And if you can, teach that alignment between the running back and the quarterback all you got to do is just like pop that ball over um and make Mm -hmm. that read uh it's not that expensive if if you can get you know the running back and quarterback in the hoop um it's kind of how they talk about it but i i think there are more things untapped in the pistol game than people necessarily realize um hawaii was a weird team yeah hawaii is 10 personnel so like hawaii wasn't using a tight end or uh, I mean, depending on what you call that running back, maybe that <laughs> he's a big dude. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they basically use that running back as a, he's an inside runner. And then because he's an inside runner, we're also using him in pass protection. So like he was basically not involved in the passing game at all, which is fine when you're, you're four wide, it's just a different way to uh, skin the cat and it's kind of like not how anyone else is doing. The biggest thing yeah. 
even when you saw Rolovich or Hawaii, they would start in the pistol and then last second they would motion that back Move off the side. back. Yeah. Yes. And the reason for that, again, they want to run the gun stuff, but they have the one, they have to run pistol stuff to keep defenses honest. They want to run the gun stuff, but they don't want to give the defense that information of where that back is split pre-snap because it's just too damn easy right now to set your defense opposite of the back. And you're just like, bang, we took out your run game with a lighter box. And now we mm-hmm. can play too high. It's just too tough on teams right now. And, and I think the, the other thing, bring it back to the point you made about pass protection, especially with the way the run and shoot, I mean, there's not a lot, a lot of people, a lot of people left, but Rolovich being one of the few guys left running somewhat of a pure run and shoot stuff is that like, wherever, however they do their pass protection with their half, their full sliding the whole time and to the, to, to the play side stuff. Like you got to get your running back to the edge of the line of scrimmage. Like you said before, if he's at seven yards, that's tough, man. Like you can't get there in time to do, especially what they want to do. You know, if he's going to, you know, blocking a linebacker from depth, who's blitzing from depth, like that's one thing, but coming to the but edge of the line. linebacker is, walks up to the A gap right. and he's right off of the center and that's that center's taking the defensive tackle. He has a straight downhill run. I mean, even things thing just too, like chipping on the edge. You have to get out of the way of the quarterback. You right. have to get out of the way of the quarterback with that running back. Because if that linebacker is coming straight at the quarterback, if that running back takes that angle straight at that linebacker, he's running through the quarterback. Through the back of the quarterback, yeah. Yes. So, like, there, there are definitely some issues that the pistol provides that is different than under center and um, in the shotgun. But if you have answers to your problems – um, a lot of things get solved. So like Hawaii, one of the weirdest things Hawaii did, they would run sneaks with their wide receiver. I want you to think about yeah. how that works. So they run jet motion across the formation. Your quarterback isn't close enough to the line of yeah. scrimmage where he can take that sneak. Your running back is at seven yards of depth. So that's not really when you want to be running inside runs anyway, when the defense knows inside run is coming and, and they're just trying to blast off the ball. So what they would do is they would motion a wide receiver across the formation. He would come back and get under center, and then it would just be quick snap, guys mm-hmm. up the middle. And they were doing that with, like, uh, what's his name? John Usura or whatever his name is, the wide receiver who got drafted uh, for, for the Seahawks. Yeah, so, like, they were doing stuff like that where you're doing the math of, like, okay, we can't run quarterback sneak from under center or from, from pistol. That's a problem. Well, do we go under center? No, that'll tell the defense what – we're going to do basically if the only time we go under center is, is to run quarterback sneaks, how are we going to fit this in kind of the overview of the offense? Yeah. Well, how about sometimes that motion guy just takes that snap under center. And so cool. Good. Yeah. I mean, and to your point about like the protections and stuff, like this is the last thing I have on pistol, at least like I found what Bobby Petrino did with Lamar Jackson to be really fascinating because he's more of a pro style guy. So a lot of their problem solving was like playing with multiple tight ends. So your protection is big on big and now you're just using your tight end to chip. Right. So like the count, so that way you're, you can still keep a count to be able to pick up some of the most dangerous guys who are unconventional rushers, like your linebackers and whatnot. Like you can use linemen on those guys because you're getting chip help from tight ends. And that also allows you to release the back. And then the second piece of it is because they're a big on big team, that means that you can get in the empty, right? Like, because that matches up. So that was something that I found to be interesting. But to your point about protections, you know, I see this at the high school level. Like I've coached an offense that went out of pistol. And because of those problems with protections, what you end up with a lot is getting to 11 personnel and going like nub trips and going full slide to the boundary. 
basically, and having the tight end and running back kicking out on the backside edge. Like, because how else, how else are you going to get a young run, especially a young running back? We're talking high school level, like, and these problems exist at higher levels, but how else are you going to get a running back to be able to scan in protection from seven yards of depth? This is the reason why teams don't do their five-step drops out of under center anymore. It's for right. the same reason. Interior and, pressure and the, is the heavier you, The heavier you go, the more you're putting on that running back's plate to dual read a blitz where yes. it's not necessarily if that running, if that linebacker comes, I have him. It's if I have, if that linebacker or that will linebacker come, right. then I have him or it could be anywhere from like, that strong safety come. Then I right. Have it could be like, I have from the strong a gap all the way to like the weak side D gap, <laughs> you know, like right. that scan, that scan gets really wide. Yeah. Um, I will say kind of, there's kind of different groups to put these pistol teams in, right? And it's yeah. how they think about football. So, like, Ohio. Mm-hmm. Ohio wants to run the option. That's not a surprise. Solich came from, like, Nebraska option stuff. Right, right. Um, Hawaii now, Washington State, right? They're, like, air raid teams, basically, or run-and-shoot teams, basically. Right. And then the Satterfield stuff. Yeah. The big difference between that is the Satterfield guys, they want to get their wide receivers blocking safeties. Yeah, so the way to get wide receivers run. to block safeties is you have to move them into the formation almost in yeah. the same type of like the minus splits where the wide receivers are almost in like tight end or slot alignment, even if they're the outside wide receiver that like the Niners run and the Rams run and stuff right. like that. So that's why those offenses are structured more for boot stuff, because what you're going to try to do is you're going to try to attack those outside edges, which you've then created space by vacating the edges almost completely by moving your wide receivers inside, if that makes sense. But, and that's why I think that offense is the offense that will, I don't know if it'll, it'll, it'll run side by side with the kind of over splitter offense as kind of like the new um, trendy college football offense, but it, it's probably not far behind if, if, if anything, because I mean, it's the easiest way to run boot in college football. There you go. And, and boot, we're seeing it like, man, we, we talk about it every year in the NFL now for the past like four years where it's like, hey, put this guy in an in an offense where they go horizontal stretch run and boot out of it and you go to the Super Bowl. So it's like it's like, well, why don't we just do that in college? Because we talked about quarterbacks for like half an hour before, but it's like. You can't just go find good quarterbacks, so might as well give him the best chance to, to, to still create plays. Even if you don't have this unbelievable quarterback, we'll boot him out. You know, uh, define the reads for him, half the field, and uh, and then you're able to to create good offense, even though you don't really have a quarterback. Um, like we're talking a lot, we're talking about like like we're, we're talking like these are our, our fantasies about football right. <laughs> jesus these are our fantasies uh, about football you know I'm, if i was an offensive coordinator i fantasize about running these two type of offenses well also it's fantasy football draft season it's time to put the pp back in ppr league with the sponsor of today's show that's manscaped the leader in below the waist grooming uh they just launched their new performance package 4.0 don't neglect your balls like the Packers front office has neglected Aaron Rodgers. Join the 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped and get ready for kickoff by going to manscaped.com for 20%, 20% off plus free shipping front with code promo code PFF. That's 20% off and free shipping with promo code PFF. This will help you tame that 
Troy Polamalu in your pants. Inside their performance package 4.0, you'll find their lawnmower, <laughs> you'll find their lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, weed whacker ear and nose hair trimmer, my favorite part, uh, the crop preserver, preserver ball deodorant, crop reviver toner, performance boxer briefs. I'm wearing them right now, and a travel bag. The performance package 4.0 also includes the weed whacker. It's like having Derrick Henry run through those tough nose and ear hairs. Uh, and so again, get 20% off at plus free shipping with the promo code PFF at manscaped.com. 20% off plus uh, free shipping with the promo code PFF at manscaped.com. If your significant other is nagging you over how much time you put into your fantasy, fantasy team, you might as well gift them some beautiful balls with Manscaped. All right. Uh, speaking of the Packers and Aaron Rodgers, uh, the main reason we wanted to have you on the show, Justice, is because your new gig is um, being the uh, managing editor at uh, uh, the SB Nation Packers website. Uh, so we want to talk about the Packers offense and the Packers defense, because I think they're very interesting topics to talk about going into this season. Uh, so um, let's start on offense. When I watch the Packers offense, I see Matt LaFleur, running a lot of the stuff that he would have been around with with Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay. But then I see it in a very collegiate type of way often. Like, is that, am I right uh, when I think about it like that? Yeah, they run nub trips like more than anyone. Yeah. They run quick RPOs, yep. uh, package plays on the back end of runs where if you're getting off coverage on Devontae Adams and the run is going away from it, they might as well throw it to Devontae Adams and see if he can bully ball his way to a couple yards. Um, so a lot of those things I think are pretty collegiate type of concepts in that like you're not necessarily seeing it at the NFL level consistently. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't think you're wrong. I think it's more their, their gun stuff and their uh, – package plays I would say are more collegiate whereas like their traditional under center stuff outside of the package plays like the stretch boot again there's splits with the minus alignment yeah. where those wide receivers are trying to block those safeties which is why they don't have burners um you know I, I think a lot of people think like oh man if x wide receiver was on you know the Rams or Niners or Packers it would be so great but Really, there's only room for one jet guy on that team, and that's yep. really what that speed guy is, is that jet guy or a boot action shot guy um, in that, like, Devontae Adams has to block. Marquez Valdez-Scanling has to block. Alan Lazard, they called him a goon in uh, the press conference last week. Like, that's what he is. Like, he's there to, like, declate linebackers, safeties, um, tee off on their side, and, yeah, he can play wide receiver too. But, like, that blocking emphasis – the closer those wide receivers move to the middle of the field, the more that emphasis of blocking matters um, yeah. and the more key those blocks become. Because when you go minus split, you're actually trying to make cornerbacks make the tackle, which a lot of defense or a lot of offensive coordinators say. But when you're in a you're in a spread alignment where those wide receivers are outside the numbers, it's pretty hard to get to that safety. So what you end up doing is you block that corner. So you could talk about we want to make corners block the tackle or uh, corners make the tackle as much as you want. But if you're not doing it on the field and you're not putting, you're not scheming the game to make that happen, then it's just lip service. Um, these teams are like actually trying to do that. Right. Yeah. So like, I, I, that's what I'm like. It's always nice when you have a Robert Woods, because here's a guy who will get after. He's a dog in the run game. 
Yes. But he's also a hell of a Cooper receiver. Cup, too. Cooper yeah, Cup, Cooper too. Cup too. Yeah. Which is why I really that's, safeties out of run support. And that's, that's when you can you can run that stuff and then put a Brandon Cooks on the field because you have these multiple players, uh, these, these multiple players, I mean, like guys who can do multiple things on the inside, you know, Cup and, and, and Woods, and you can play with a, with a, um, a, a cooks to do, like you said, some of the jet stuff though. Obviously Robert, Robert Woods does a lot of their jet stuff with the Rams. Um, but at least to take a top off of defense with the cooks. Um, so like, it's funny, I, I was talking about this with uh, someone who covers the Vikings because they're going to have to go into like 11 personnel because Irv Smith is going to be out for, I guess the whole season. And it's like, you're you like, one of the issues is like, what type of receiver are you pairing with? If you're going to be an 11 personnel, which means you're, gonna look kind of like the Rams do rather than um, like you want to do if you're the Vikings with two tight ends and a fullback and all that stuff. It's like, who is that third receiver going to be? Because it has to be a specific type of receiver because Thielen and Jefferson, especially Jefferson, who is another dog in the run game, like they got to play inside. Like you can't play him as a split receiver now because now who do you have that's going to do the stuff that you want to do in the run game? Like you're talking about justice, like digging out safeties and, and linebackers and stuff like that. And if you're going to be a play action team, because a lot of people hear this, right? Especially your audience, BFF, they're going to say, <laughs> run game, right? Why are we talking about the run game? Well, if you want to run play action, this is what you're going to have to do, yeah, right? Yeah. So that that's that's the other side of the coin, too. And yeah, man, if, if you're a wide receiver in these type of schemes, like buckle up and uh, make sure you're chin, your uh, mouthpiece is in, man. Yes, sir. You're going to be doing your squats. Make some hope you're doing your squats in the offseason. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like. I mean, and really the only other way around it is to do what the Packers do when they get into their spread stuff, which is put your best receiver on the inside. And now you're eliminating the safety and run support by making the slot run a bubble or a hitch Mm -hmm. or a slant. You know, like that's how Kansas City works around the fact that they don't really have two real tight ends. You put Tyreek Hill in the slot and now your safety. A lot of people are saying one real tight end. Kelsey splits out as an X more than like anyone. I mean, he's on the backside of that more than. Well, I mean, last year around the Super Bowl, I mean, you guys know my take. My take was that he was basically the number one receiver of the team. Like he's a top five receiver in the NFL. He just happens to be tight in size. But yeah, that's all it is. It's it's big on matchups. And I think tight end doesn't get tight end really dude is like three different positions. Hmm. And we just call it all the same thing. Mm -hmm. And it's like, the power slot stuff where it's just like matchup based. Is he a Y, which is like, he's actually a tight end, like Gronk, right? Yeah. Or the, Kittle, the, where the tight ends we would think about. Yeah. Yeah. Like right. Where it's that's like, a, that's your Y. Is, yeah. This dude is literally asked to block a defensive end pretty consistently and then also catches passes. And yeah. like, it's that's, a deep threat over the middle of the field on play action. That's the issue that the Titans cause with Johnny Smith. Like mm-hmm. you kind of have to treat their 12, like 11 because yeah. Smith is a real receiver. He just happens to be tight in size. Like he can block. It's not that he's a bad blocker. He's a pretty good blocker, but you have to treat him like a receiving threat first. Cause if you yeah. get caught with your Sam backer on that guy, it's trouble. You're, you're not covering <laughs> you your know? Sam backer. Isn't going to win that one. Many times. Never. That, like, that's it's, that's it's never the third type is the, the move tight end type of guy. And that's why like New England wouldn't have gone after two Y's, right? New England only goes after Hunter Henry, who's a Y and then John Smith, who's a move tight end. Mm-hmm. And if you can't differentiate between that, that's becomes a problem. Like green Bay kind of has that same thing too, with like Tunyon is more of like the matchup guy. I mean, he, right. he does line up in, in line, um, but you don't think of him like 
knocking defensive ends off the ball. Like that's right. not what he's doing. That's Mercedes. Yeah, that's Mercedes. Mercedes is basically like an unbalanced offensive tackle who's just going to help your right tackle the entire game. Mm-hmm. And then DeGuara, who basically didn't get many snaps last year, and then Dominic Daphne are like the move tight end slash like fullback type of guys. And like you have to have all those different type of pieces. Like your tight ends, your tight end room can't all play the same. They all have to bring something different and dynamic onto the field because there's no t- there's not enough good tight ends to have enough good, well-rounded tight ends across the board in the league. So you have to kind of like lean into what they do well. That's the quiet piece about like the Shanahan scheme that people don't talk about. Like there's a reason why all the guys who leave that tree don't run the 21, don't really run the 21 personnel stuff. They don't have use check. Because you don't have use check. You can't do the 21. Or CJ Ham. Right. Like you don't, (laughs) (laughs) you don't have, you can't do that if you don't have use check. Use check means that you can be 21, 12, You know, whatever you want, and you can run a so personnel stuff out of it and put, and split Kittle out. Or it's you like you just talked about. Out if you want to. It's like you just talked about with John Smith and these type of players. Like you, the the personnel grouping that is written, you know, that's charted is actually is in reality one step low or one step whatever you want to say. It's one step to the side, right? Where it's like, yeah, we're we're in we're in uh, you know eleven personnel with Kittle, but or Kelsey is the best one. Like you're in eleven personnel with Kelsey, but really you're ten personnel. Like everything right. is shifted over, so you're not you're you're in, you're kind of both halfway between eleven personnel and ten personnel, and that exactly what you said with 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 uh, with, with juice check is like, yo, you're not really, you're, yeah, you're in twenty one, not really though, because he can split him up, no problem. He runs the wheel route, no problem. Like you can just do so much. And same with Kittle, like what are you when you're in these in these like charted a personnel groupings, right? Which play which like. You know, one of the issues I have sometimes when people talk about personnel groupings is that it's like, oh, well, this is a 21 team. This is a 10 team. They're in 21 and 10. Like, I think. And then we then we kind of like talk shit about like defensive coordinators. Well, how did they, they don't match it up properly whatever? Like, I think when it comes to coaching football, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong here. I could be totally wrong, but I don't know how often you are looking at it like. Hey, they're in twenty. They're in eleven personnel because they have a tight end and a and a, and three receivers. It's like no, no. We talk about it like eighty-seven is on the field. Yes, like that is the but personnel. When, you, group when you're when you're playing the Packers, it's not about the personnel. It's yeah. did Mercedes come into the game? Yes, exactly. Yes. That's that's yes. that's the big difference. And what you can do with that back, the position is not as important as you think it is. So like use check, the problem use check gives you right a lot of these. 21, 20 personnel teams, right? That second guy is a fullback and that fullback isn't going to run the ball and he's not really going to go out for passes. Like he's not doing letters. It's CJ Ham. It's CJ Ham. Yeah, exactly. Right. But so functionally, that's not really different than 11 because that guy is basically playing like a tight end, right? Yes. The problem with use check is you get caught in between that tight end and a running back because he also gets the ball in his hand, mm-hmm. right? So that's what really gives you stress because 20 personnel with a fullback who's never going to run the ball and 20 personnel with a second true running back and like split back gun stuff. Those are two totally different things. And the fact that use check can do so much only provides so much value. And that's also why I think, you know, you look at the Niners and people are wondering like, um, what's his name? Herds. Is that the, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's, 
like imagine if like Alan Lazard could carry the ball just in terms of like his frame, right? That's what he brings to the table. So yeah, the dude hasn't gotten into an NFL game yet, but it's the versatility of if he can like just crack a certain threshold of like being able to get on the field, right? The personnel mismatches that you can get off of him just being out there and the versatility that he could bring to the field where, you know, he can run the ball. He's got a body that can block. He's also traditionally like his position is wide receiver. That's a huge difference. That's a huge difference that that can bring you um, to the field almost in the same way that like use check can. Yeah. I mean, well, to, to your point, I mean, I don't, I don't, as a defensive guy, I don't think really about personnel in terms of the number. Like you said, I care about who it is. I want to know who it is. When Alvin Kamara, when I'm facing Elf against Alvin Kamara, I have to be very aware of where my matchups are. It matters, especially if Michael Thomas is in the slot. I have to think about I'm defending two slots between Michael Thomas and uh, and Alvin Kamara. That's a different idea in terms of coverage. That's a different idea in terms of the front. Like, and the fact that he can actually carry the ball, that he's a traditional running back who has these receiver skills also changes. Like, what are you doing with your form? Like, and then it's about formation from there. I care about what the bodies are and what the formation is. And that's where I make my decision. It's not like, you know, in the eighties, if you're in 21, I got to be worried about, okay, weak side ISO, strong side power, you know, maybe yeah, they run toss. I formation. Maybe they run getting counter. off the bus. Right. Like now it's okay. Is it 21? If it's 21 personnel, but it's 21 to make 11, that's different. You know, it's 11 personnel, but it's the Rams. So I got to treat it like it's 12 yeah. because their wide receiver can actually block. He can actually be part of the pass protection. He can actually carry the ball. So I have to treat it between 12 and 21. That's a different kind of deal. Like, and then if these guys have these versatile skill sets, that adds another layer to it. Like that's why defending in the NFL, like I'm going to continue to bang this drum for as long as I'm here with PFF. Like it's about the matchups. I don't care about whether you're in nickel. I don't care about whether or not you're in dime. I don't care if you're in base. I don't care if it's middle of field open or middle of field closed. Do you have the bodies for their bodies? Like it is turning into basketball, like in that way, like in basketball to me, it's not about small ball. It's can your six eleven guy handle the ball? Okay, that's different. Can your 6'11 guy shoot? That's different. You know, that changes how you have to defend a guy. And it's the same idea in football now. That That's really where we're at and where we're going to continue to go. I, I think we've talked about this, and I believe uh, my arch nemesis, Stephen Ruiz, wrote an article about this <laughs> regarding the Patriots defense a few years ago, where it's like, that's what Belichick has kind of done. He's like, I'm going to play man. That means I got to get bodies to match up. Yep. <laughs> like different types of bodies. Uh, one of the things I want to talk about with, with use check is what, is what it's allowed the 49ers to do that the other teams on the same tree can't really do is diversify their run game in terms of adding power, ad- adding counter, adding all this other stuff. Now it's a little more time intensive because now you got to teach people to pull, well, teach people to pull, the professional athletes, but you got you to install pulling plays, you got to install power, counter, et cetera. Whereas these other teams haven't had the ability to do that. You look at Tennessee, you look at um, the Packers, you look at the Rams, like they can't, they can't have that diversity in the run game. And we're seeing McVay get into his bag a bit with some interesting type of counter runs where it's not really a, a counter in terms of guard tackle pull or guard center pull or guard for guard fullback pull, but you're kind of using Robert Woods as a lead. Right, Robert Woods as a fullback. 
Yeah, exactly. So, and that kind of leads into what the the Packers and, and why can why can they use him as a fullback? Because he's in a tight alignment. Because he's, he's in a tight alignment. Exactly. Line. So, like right. all these things, it, it's all about like the constraints, right? The constraints that you can put on a defense where you you can say, okay, get out of that, yeah. right? I mean, that's what they're saying is, okay, get out of that. Yep. Yeah, and like so, what the Packers and the Titans do is their change up is to run duo. Because, hey, we're, we don't have to add an install where we're pulling people, but it is a different run than outside zone. You know, it's more downhill. Why can we do it? Why can we make it look all the same? Is because we already have, and duo needs tight formations. Mm-hmm. We already have. You're making players. that corner make a tackle. The Jets it's, in the preseason game, they had, they had a uh, tag on the backside of duo. So duo is going to the right. On the left side, they're running uh, – it's like a hitch with Corey Davis. That's a tough thing. That's like yeah. a – we're going to make your cornerback make a tackle no matter what. No so matter you're what. either going to play yeah. tight coverage on Corey Davis. If you play off, we're just going to throw it to him. He's going to have to make the tackle. If you don't give us that look, then we're going to run it to your other cornerback, and he's going to yeah. have to be in the run fit. And that's yeah. how these teams are getting these cornerbacks in the run fit. And then you're wondering, like, dang, why do the 49ers have all these 4-4 guys who are ripping off runs? And it's because they're getting one-on-ones with the cornerbacks and they're winning them. Mm-hmm. Uh, our, our, another friend of, a, of the podcast, uh, Ben Solak, has talked about how he feels like the future of football. Well, I'm, maybe I'm exaggerating a bit, but like the future of football is um, wide receivers who can be multiple and block. And it's exactly what we're talking about. Like now you want to run the two most important runs in football, which is outside zone and duo guess what guess what needs to happen is exactly what we've been talking about your guys need to block your your receivers need to block tampa bay won a super bowl running duo guess who they have in the slot one of the nastiest blockers out there that's yeah. chris godwin like he he's yeah. he's another chris dog in the running dog game. yeah that guy's a dog like you yeah, need if you, you want to run outside you got to get blocks on the edge period and that's how you're going to have to get it with some wide receivers sometimes if you're going to be an 11 personnel and I know people think, for whatever reason, we've, we've been fed small wide receiver, slot receiver. When in reality, if you look at where those guys line up and even the tight ends, right, that split out at wide receiver, those guys, are the, the slot guys are like the toughest guys. They're the strongest guys. Like, it's not, there's not a, a bunch of like 170-pound slot receivers who run four fours and can't block in the NFL. That's not what this league is right now. Yeah. That's not what we're seeing on the field. It's okay, just Tyreek. Yeah. It's really like yeah. it's basically yeah, yeah. just Tyreek is basically the only guy who yeah. doesn't have to come off the field on run plays. That's that's that size is but but it, but it's wh- why does he not have to? Because he doesn't have to run he doesn't have to run block. Exactly. He can bubble or he can run a slant. He can run it on a slant. And that's yeah. his blocking right there. And that and that is what that is what that like the 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 meshing of the Packers this past year was that yep. like, Hey, we can do both. We can do everything we just talked about, which is duo runs and outside zone from under center and using our, our receivers as good blockers. But we can also, because we have the quickest release in football and we have Devonta Adams, like we can get into gun and not, not have to do that stuff because we can run a bubble and we'll throw it on the money every time. The one thing I would like to see them do more is run an RPO slant once in a while. They ran it like three times a whole year because, you know, it's for whatever Rogers. reason, they don't like them. They, they don't like, like it. It's like, let's get the ball in Devontae's hands faster. Yeah, well, exactly. I, think that they don't, I think that they don't like it because Devontae Adams is also their first, their number one running back. 
Yeah. That's the, I think that that's the way that they look at it. I mean, if you yeah. look at like the, the distribution of touches, that's how they treat him. Yeah. That's what mm-hmm. the bubbles are for. You know, it's to treat him like another back in the rotation. So a hundred percent. And I mean, he's a dog. Like, let's yeah. be real about that too. Like everyone, I think it was interesting seeing the jets um, just in that Packers game again, because I like broke down their defense on all 22 and all that this whole summer. So um, it was interesting seeing baby LaFleur with the jets kind of using Corey mm-hmm. Davis in that way mm-hmm. where you're like, Oh, he's getting unlocked a little bit. And you're right. like leaning into his skill set Cause Corey Davis is built in the same way where it's like, dude, it's just tough to get that guy on the ground. Like yeah, yeah, there's boy. just not many corners who are built to cover Corey Davis and get him on the ground. Like that's a tough thing to ask. Okay. So before we move on to uh, the aforementioned uh, Packers defense, I want to tell you guys about a uh, new partner, on the uh, Too High podcast, and that is Homefield Apparel. Uh, Homefield Apparel is a premium collegiate clothing brand out of Indianapolis, Indiana. Incredibly comfortable, officially licensed apparel with uh, vintage college designs. Uh, look, we're all three of us are, are uh, Homefield stands. They got the best stuff. If you like, go to Homefield, uh, get their stuff. It's beautifully designed. It fits really well. And uh, it's very comfortable. Uh, so Homefield is, is in the middle of a big new Saturday season two, where they launch a new school collection every Saturday at noon for 16 straight weeks. They've just done Georgia, Wisconsin, and Florida. And this Saturday, it is the North Carolina Tar Heels. Uh, so like I said, like I have the shirts. It's really good. I, I, cannot, um, I cannot say enough about them. I know uh, you guys will be hoping for Oregon and USC stuff soon. Hopefully, hopefully that uh, that is in in, in the yeah, works har- there. Harass them and get. Yeah. Them. I need some duckies. Uh, I need some ducky shirts. Use promo code PFF uh, to get fifteen percent off your first purchase at homefieldapparel.com. Promo code PFF for fifteen percent off. Okay, uh, last thing to cover here is the Packers defense because I, that is very interesting. Um, what they're going to do because you have Mike Pettin for all these years running a certain style of defense. Now you're bringing in, Oh my God, I forgot his name. Barry. What, what's yeah, the you got it. Joe Barry. Joe Barry. You, you cover the NFL, right? Sometimes <laughs> get his ass. Justin. <laughs> uh, so- the one seed last year in the NFC. What are we doing? You, do you know Aaron Rodgers won the MVP? <laughs> no, I don't. I don't. I don't. Uh, yeah, that didn't happen. Um, do you get games in Canada? Oh, no. <laughs> it, he, you know what? Look, if the Saints had gotten out of the Tampa Bay game in the playoffs, the Saints would have beaten the Packers in the NFC Championship game. Uh, so let's talk about with who um, at quarterback? With that is, we saw that game already. Of, yeah, uh, Mercedes, we're, we're, Mercedes we're, Lewis put a guy on a poster. We're, we're about to about? see that game again in week one, which I'm not excited about. Uh, so the defense is going to be interesting because Joe Barry has recently come from the Sean McVay coaching staff, which was where he was under Brandon Staley. And they, and we talked about, we had Brandon Staley on the program. We talked about this type of defense. We did it on Monday. Very unique defense in, in, in the NFL and what they do. Are we? Do you think we're going to get that, or Joe Barry, who has been, as I looked this up, who has been in the NFL as a defensive guy for a long time? You know, he's fifty-one years old. He's been a defensive coordinator uh, with the Reds. Sorry, with with Washington in in 2015, 2016, with the Lions in 07, 08. So like he's been around. Like, what are we getting out of Barry? Sorry, it's Joe Barry. So- it's not even Joe Barry. 
<laughs> Jesus. I think with Joe Barry, you're getting you're not getting the Rams defense. Yes, is how I would start I agree. That. in that I agree. like the match coverage stuff, the like three safety looks, the like dime stuff, they're not showing any of that at all. Um, so what it really is is they're playing base and they're gonna expand the formations and base and they're gonna send five man pressures in that like if you're if you have two tight ends on the field, two wide receivers, and you're putting all your tight ends on one side and all your wide receivers on the other, you can get Preston Smith in a matchup uh, to line up on that slot receiver, but he's really going to play the flat. He's he's not going to cover that receiver deep. It's going to be a zone behind it. Um, so you're going to get that. You're going to get blitzing from all angles. You're going to get late rotations from two high to one high. Um, essentially. I think kind of the way they think about it is the same type of way that like Alabama thinks about it defensively, where we're presenting a too high shell pre-snap because we're trying to bait you into the run. And then we're slanting, twisting, stunting, blitzing enough that we're hoping to win a gap back at some point. And maybe we rotate that safety down into the box. Maybe we don't. So you're not going to get that information until the ball is live, if that makes sense. So I think that's what you're going to get in base and then nickel. Um, just nickels back, baby. That's the <laughs> biggest difference in Green Bay is like Green Bay didn't play nickel last year. They were last in the league in nickel. Yep. Um, they were first in the league in dime in by dime. far. I think they play like 50% of the spot or their, their uh, snaps in dime. And th- the reason for that was because they would bring an extra safety in and then Adrian Amos would drop into the box. To the box, um, yeah. While, while they also brought in Shannon Sullivan to play the slot. So Green Bay, I think, is very much things like left to right, which is a big difference i know that sounds again that's another thing that sounds simple and sounds dumb but is what they do compared to think of like the seahawks cover three defense that took the league by storm and basically everyone ran it right where everything is based off of what the run strength is right where it's if we call a blitz it sends our sam linebacker right so if you switch what strength is we might have to get out of that blitz if that's a live blitz. And that that's the issue that like these jet motions where not only is there motion, but the motion is live and that guy has the ball. Yes. That presents a problem where it's like, we can't even, we don't have enough time to react and check into another pressure. That that's a problem that presents itself in the league. So the way green Bay thinks about it is like, when we call a blitz, those guys are coming. <laughs> like those guys are coming. Yeah. And however we have to line up to the formation, we'll line up to the formation in that way. And if that means Preston Smith is on the slot receiver, well, that doesn't really matter because he's going to cover the flat anyway. So, like, that's kind of what they're thinking, I think. it's I, I think it's just – it's a very old-school way of thinking about the 3-4. Like, that's why – It's 3-4, 3-4, 3-4. It's closer to Fangio than it is to – I was going to say, Staley I, I think that people need to – people really need to be careful about as, as this Fangio tree continues to expand across the NFL, you have to treat Brandon Staley as a one-on-one. What he does mm-hmm. in terms of run fits, how he's matching up to formations, how his pressures work, all the bare front stuff with these different rotations, that's a Brandon Staley thing. Like, it's not, I don't even want to call it a Fangio thing. I just think that the structure of the defense borrows from some of the base principles that Fangio has. But most of these guys that are coming off this tree are a lot closer to what Fangio is, who's really like a three, four. It's almost like taking like it's a safer version of Wade Phillips is three, four. Like we're just going to be a little bit more multiple. At the end of the day, what Fangio wants to do is send five and play cover one. 
that's his money. That's his money deal. Like, and that's yeah. what, that's what I think that you're going to get out of Joe Barry as well. It's like, we'll, we'll play base downs however we need to based on the formation. It's going to be quarters. If we've got to rotate down in the three, we can, you know, and we'll rotate it. You know, maybe the safety's a buzz rotator, meaning he's really, he's coming down inside the outside backer, maybe a sky rotation where he's outside the backer. But for the most part, you're just going to play basic soft zone on first and second down based on the formation. And then on third down, they get in a nickel or dime based on what they need to do. They bring five and play cover one and try to get off the field that way. It's cover one. And it's a lot of three high, three low, which is basically like cover three. Your old school instead fire of zone stuff. Yeah. You're not, say, it'll look a lot like the capers LeBeau stuff that's been around before. Yeah. But BJ Raji isn't going to drop in a coverage. Which <laughs> yes. Is that is the difference. <laughs> um, I, I would say that like the big difference between like his pressures and uh, Patton's pressures, right? When, when Patton was coming, he's walking linebackers to the line of scrimmage. Yes. Right. Pre-snap. And you know, you're that trying to get that five Oh look. Basically. Exactly. And you know, to a certain extent, yeah, you're creating one-on-one matchups with the offensive lineman. The other side of the coin is uh, Kyle Shanahan is going to run trap on you like a bad high school. <laughs> so like, <laughs> So that so that's one so that's one way to attack it, right? And then Barry's way is we're hiding so much pre-snap by being in that too high shell that if we aren't sending guys from depth, we're sending guys right before the line of scrimmage. So you're not getting that information until you can't get into a new play. That that's a big difference. I think, and, and the effect of that is that you can kind of get the you can get the presentation of almost sending two guys through a gap with all the twisting and stunning you can do from depth, like versus getting into those five O looks. What that really is about is saying we're not going to allow you to slide to who our best rusher is. That's all that. That's right. About. It's it's just everyone is one on one. That's what you're well, doing. It's our right. five are walked over your five offensive linemen. Beat them. Now, what the Packers have, I think, is because their pass rushers are versatile. And because you also have a plus interior pass rusher in Kenny Clark, it doesn't really require you to do, you get the added versatility of saying, Hey, we don't got to walk guys up because we feel like all of our pass rushers can win their one-on-ones. We don't have to guarantee a particular one. So we can stunt the front and do all of these different things. Like the Steelers believed in this when they had TJ and Bud Dupree on the edges. It didn't really matter if you're in a five or not. All we need to do is just get guys running on different pressure tracks. Because we believe that between Hayward on the inside, Dupree and Watt on the outside, we've got our answers for whatever your protection scheme is. It doesn't really require, you know, trying to force a particular look. And, so and I, they'll blitz the run, too. That's the exactly. other thing. And they'll try to win a gap back in the run game. And, you know, that's another team. You just talked about Pittsburgh. That's another team that I think, you know, if you watch what they did on the field defensively last year and compare it to what the Packers did this preseason, there's a whole lot more crossover between Pittsburgh and what the yes. Packers are doing than what that, Staley did and what the Packers are doing. Mm-hmm. It's like so it's, it's very, cover, it's it's very be, classic like said, three four. Yeah, it's going to be man. It's going to be five yep. man pressure. Blitz in the nickel. Gonna, You're going to send your pass rusher up the field. Blitz the nickel underneath the pass rusher, so that way he's on the back. Yeah. You may drop the weak side outside linebacker off, you know, and then you're slanting the line. Weak side. So We're thinking left to right now, baby. True. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, so. that's one benefit to it, right? Is that you don't let the offense control which pass rusher is dropping. You're, you're so you could say, example. hey, no, I do want Zadarius Smith to go after the quarterback, and I want Preston Smith to be the guy who's dropping. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the negatives, if I would say the like the biggest negative 
in this structure of defense relative to like what the Packers have on their roster. It's the fact that Zadarius Smith no longer can kick inside because of the, if, if you're expanding the formations the way that they are and you're going to play a lot of base. And I do, I, I think they're probably going to be top. I'd be shocked if they were not top 10 in base defense uh, this, this upcoming season. Yeah, I think I agree. With you that. That's it's hard to find ways where Zadarius Smith can play inside when you're in base. And maybe mm-hmm. that's one of the reasons why they were so dime heavy. And one of the reasons why they played with such a light box. Um, Zadarius right now has a back injury. He didn't practice today too. Um, I don't think he's practiced, you know, the majority of this off season. So that is a point of concern, I would say, but like Rashawn Gary can come off the bench and he can rush the passer. So like yeah. if, if there was any team that's like, built to handle an injury to a player like Zadarius Smith, it would be the Packers just because of they have three actual pass rushers plus Kenny Clark. That's a tough thing to deal with when you have a guy like Kingsley Kiki also coming, um, developing in his own. Right. I think one of the things that always concerns me about these type of teams, and you talked about it a lot, is just like, hey, sometimes we are going to have to drop our, a pass rusher into space. You have like, to. You have like, to. You can, 60, you can 60% of NFL pass rushes are uh, four-man pressures. If you have five guys on the line of scrimmage, you're gonna you have base. to drop an outside somebody, linebacker. Yeah, somebody's got to drop. Three, four in base. Any, any, if you want to send strong safeties, you want to send inside linebackers, you want to send that nickel, either – so if you're in a five-man pressure, right, you can do that, and you only send one outside linebacker, so the other one has to drop. Or every time you send an inside linebacker, a safety, a slot back, a corner, you're in man. Exactly. You're I'll say zero. That or you play zero. Or you have yeah, zero exactly. Out. So you don't have options. You have to drop that outside linebacker into coverage if you're going to play this way, like just numbers wise. Yeah. And it's funny because I, I thought that's what the that's what the Chiefs were going to do against the Bucks in the Super Bowl because the Bucks obviously are running this type of 34 bear stuff with two with five defensive linemen. I was like, oh, well, you can just match up and then get whoever it was, um, JPP, or I think because it would have been Shaq Barrett, I'm not sure actually, to stand up and like be uh, in space. Couldn't really do that. Um, obviously, we know what happened in the Super Bowl, but like I think that's always my problem with the with these kind of three, four teams that aren't Brandon Staley three, four teams. Because he does, he just does so much other stuff. It's like you're gonna have to drop a guy out there, and maybe a team can take advantage of you. Though I, honestly, I, if you're it's, if it's first down and you're running like that, it's probably because the other team is in twelve personnel or yes. Something. And 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 right. that's one of the other important things is I charted personnel matchups with Barry. Right, so Barry, he's basically he's matching the amount of defensive backs on the field with or the cornerbacks on the field with your wide receivers. Wide receivers. So yeah. if you're 12 or 21, again, we talked about how little that actually means, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. What that means is you basically have two blocking bodies on the field and you only have two wide receivers, right? If you do that, he's going to play you in base. So like all the Shanahan under center stuff, like he'd play base to most of that. When you go into 11, he's a nickel, right? So, Okay that solves a lot of the problems just because, off because alone. you're a four. You can't play. You're not going to play nickel with five down like that. No, they're going to play no. nickel with four down. No. And now, I mean, that's the stuff Deontay off. talks about where yeah. he's talking about matchups, right? It's, yeah. Hey, we got to get someone who can cover this guy at some point. Mm-hmm. Like we got to make that sub and get Chandon on the field and pull out one of our defensive tackles. Like Dean Lowry, get off the field. Chandon, yeah, Sullivan, you're it. in. 
Mm-hmm. And that's, I that's mean, yeah, Seth that. and I, me and you talked about it throughout the playoffs last year with Tampa Bay, right? Like that was the issue is like, well, yeah, I mean, I know Bowles is a bare front guy, but you can't do bare front in an 11 personnel world because the rotation just doesn't really allow for it, right? Like you're either going to be yeah. in a 5-0 box or you got to play cover three and cover one. You know, it's just difficult to do. So what do they do? They wait and see what personnel you're playing. There you go. And they make their decision off of that. So that way they keep the kind of multiplicity they need against these different looks that they're seeing. Like I thought yeah. the Chiefs could go into like a 12 personnel type situation That's what and bring in about, right? bring in that second tight end who is that Blake Bell, I believe, the quarterback. Mm-hmm. He's the tight end there, uh, the backup tight end to Kelsey. And that would force Bowles to say, hey, maybe I will get into this bare front. And then the Kansas City can say, oh, you want to be in a bare front versus – 87 and 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 Tyreek on the field and that wouldn't really work very well I don't think but that didn't really but, happen, so yeah I mean he was smart enough to realize that you have to treat Travis Kelsey like a wide receiver yeah so like then, then there you go all right um we have talked way too much <laughs> so I think it's time to time to get out of here uh just we didn't we didn't even get to uh me saying that there should be like 12 college football teams okay, That's great. okay there we go the one no, take no, justice and I, card, baby the one take justice and I can agree on uh, all right, Justice, where can the people find you uh, this season? Uh, Acme Packing Company. Um, read about the Packers. If you're not that interested about the Packers, uh, I shit post a lot on Twitter at uh, <laughs> J-U-M-O-S-Q if you want to find my handle. Um, come harass me, things of that nature. Uh, outside of that, that's pretty much it. All right, cool. Thanks for coming on the podcast.